With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 34th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also really love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is, and subscribe to my show on Voice America Business Channel site. I really appreciate all of you who tune in. And, you know, I love seeing the many locations where my listeners are from. It takes me virtually to your part of the world to know that you're listening in. I want to give a special hello to the hundreds of new listeners since last week who are joining us from the Philippines. Thank you. And I also have many new listeners tuning in from India, Sweden, and I was really happy to see so many new listeners from Mongolia. I'm so appreciative of all the many tens of thousands of you who now listen to my show. And of course, thank you to all my listeners worldwide tuning in, including tens of thousands right here in the USA. A special shout out to San Francisco and Atlanta. Currently, you are my top listenership cities in the USA with several hundreds in each. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had some listeners ask me how I know these numbers of listeners. And no, I'm not surveilling on you. These listeners are determined by those who listen at the Voice America Business website. The site logs the general city location based on IP address. Now, these numbers do not include those of you who might be listening through all those apps through which you can also listen. One of these days, I'm going to check those out as well. Also, please check out my websites, Symbus360.com and privacyguidance.com. And if you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my radio show, please also get in touch. I have some really great options that I've planned for my sponsors. And if any of you are from Africa or close to Antarctica and need help with information security or privacy, let me know. I've been to all the other continents, but not to these, at least not yet. So um, I would be happy to go there to help you out. Thanks also for all your questions that you're sending me. And I am so far behind on answering them all. I apologize for being behind on them. I hope that I can put aside a day or to in October to get them all answered. But thank you so very much for your patience. 
So my September privacy uh, privacy professor tips message was published in late August. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Please send me an email letting me know who your privacy hero is at your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout the uh, year of 2018. Now today, I want to provide a tip I've already given before, but um, I'm concerned about it. This is a crime that's increasing in occurrence, and it's not just here in Des Moines, Iowa, but it's increasing throughout the U.S., and in fact, worldwide. And this is the use of skimmers. And I reported in a previous show about how there were two people who were arrested here in Des Moines for putting skimmers in gas pump credit card readers back in June. And then uh, they took that data that they stole and they committed identity fraud using it. Now, in September, there continue to be more skimmers found in the greater Des Moines metro area. Three were found in gas pump card readers just in the last few days. San Antonio, Texas, they also have a lot of skimmers. They found 131 credit card skimmers so far this year. In-store credit card readers in New Orleans were found with skimmers last month. And international police are looking for a crook named Alexandru Savu, who ran a large crime ring. And what his crime ring would do... They would create and sell ATM skimming devices, and then they'd sell them to crooks throughout the world who would use them to carry out ATM fraud in countries including the UK, here in the US, in Ghana, in Jamaica, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, and yes, in the Philippines too. So my tip for today, be very careful when using credit card scanners and also ATMs, here are five signs that there may be a skimmer in the reader. Number one, grab the part of the device where you slide the card or or input your chip card. Can you wiggle it? Does it seem loose? Well, if it does, don't use it. Report it to the manager uh, that there may be a skimmer being used on his or her property. Number two, on gas pumps. Look at that security seal or security tape and see if it's been broken. If it's been broken, don't use that pump or reader. It's probably been tampered with. Number three, look into the slot of the card reader. Now, do you see anything that's projecting into the space where the card goes? If you do, don't use that reader. It may have a skimmer that has been loaded within it. Number four, if the ATM machine or credit card reader is out in the open, but it's not within view of the store where it's located, or it might be out in a completely unattended location where there is no person or business close by, then avoid using it. Those are common targets by crooks 
to install skimmers because there's little to no oversight and they can so much more easily install a skimmer. And you know, it only takes literally less than one or two seconds for them to do so. And then number five, if in doubt, even if you have a funny feeling that something just isn't right about the device that you were thinking about using, then pay with cash instead or go to a different ATM machine. Now, this episode today is first airing on September 18th. A week ago today was the 17th anniversary of the terrorist attacks against the United States that brought down the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City, took out a significant portion of the Pentagon just outside Washington, D.C., and as a result of passengers on another plane who stopped the hijackers on that plane and crashed it in a field in Pennsylvania, that terrorist attack resulted in almost 3,000 total deaths on that one day alone. Now, since that time, there have also been increasing numbers of attempted terrorist attacks and growing numbers of different types of cyber terrorism attacks. Reports around the world come out monthly and increasingly weekly about cyber attacks against critical infrastructure networks within not only governments, but also within the healthcare and, and financial and utilities and transportation industries. Twice in the past week, including on the anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks, leaders from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security have said that the largest threat to the United States is no longer physical terrorism or primarily physical terrorism, but cyber attacks and cyber terrorism. A deputy undersecretary at Homeland Security said during a 9-11 memorial event last week that, quote, the cyber threat has eclipsed the threat from physical terrorism. And then he added that, quote, the cyber threat, despite lots of recent warnings and reflection by senior leaders in government, may still not be taken as seriously as it needs to be by all of us. Cyber terrorism is written about some, but in my opinion, it's really not written about enough. So I want to talk about it today with an expert in terrorism in general and also cyber terrorism specifically. Today, I'm really happy to have returning to my show Tom Conley, president and CEO of the Conley Group that's based right here in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, in January of this year, Tom was appointed to serve on the Anti-Terrorism Accreditation Board, or ATAB, Strategic Counterterrorism Council. In addition to having earned several other professional certifications, Tom earned and was awarded the prestigious Certified Grandmaster Elite Anti-Terrorism Specialist designation in 2015. Tom has many experiences. Security manager while in the U.S. Navy. 
In 2010, Tom was awarded the ATAB Legion of Exceptional Merit Award for his work. Tom had a 27-year career serving in the U.S. Navy Police and retired as a senior commissioned officer. Tom is also a former police captain and has held several command positions and is a certified counterterrorism instructor for the U.S. Department of Defense. Tom has earned a couple of dozen professional certifications as well as a master's degree and two bachelor's degrees and many, many other recognitions and honors. You can see more about him in his bio that's posted at my Voice America Business Show site. Tom, thank you so very much for returning to be my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Becky. It's wonderful to be back, and I appreciate the invite. Well, this is certainly a good time to talk about this, and when I started seeing more about you know cyber terrorism and, and terrorist attacks, I immediately thought of you because of all the credentials I just um, listed for you. And I'm wondering, could you uh, please provide a high-level view of what it means when we talk about cyber terrorism? We have a lot of worldwide listeners, so it, not only for those in the U.S., but what can you explain what we mean by cyber terrorism? Certainly. Um, probably the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation has the best uh, overall one. And uh, theirs is that cyber, ter- cyber terrorism is in any premeditated, politically motivated attack against information, computer systems, computer programs, and data that results in violence against non-combatant targets or sub-national groups or clandestine agents. So basically, uh, what they're saying is anybody that uses the information technology area as an attack vector is, in fact, cyber terrorism. So it's they're not really trying to do the same as our traditional cyber crooks who want to get our data and, and uh, use it for financial gain. They primarily want, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what you describe, it sounds like they really just want to disrupt our lives or maybe cause uh, panic or remove um, critical services from us? Yeah, if we can kind of go go back to basics a little bit of terrorism. There are eight primary signs um, of terrorism, and these uh, mirror the... the, uh, uh, tactics that terrorists will, will do to commit an act. Uh, first is surveillance. Um, they're going to surveil their target, uh, and they're, what they're looking for is vulnerabilities. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to do inquiries, perhaps tests of security, um, so they would you know, maybe hit uh, you know, a server to see if they can get in. But number four is fundraising, and five is acquiring supplies. And uh, where cyber terrorists have a nexus to finance is they have to have money to finance attacks. So they can't acquire supplies on whole without funding. So that's where you see some traditional crimes, you know, that, that go from ransomware, you know, to, to, uh, to, to the stealing of funds, to traditional crimes such as robbery, because they have to finance their terrorist efforts. And after acquiring supplies, um, they're they're going to do uh, dry runs, uh, getting into position, and finally deploying an attack. The good news is that in the first seven out of eight of those signs of terrorism, those are each opportunities to stop a terrorist, whether they be 
a physical terrorist or a cyber terrorist. So, uh, but, but acquiring supplies and fundraising is absolutely part of that. And uh, so, so they need money. And, mm-hmm. and uh, IT is a really, really good place to, to do it, and it's a lot safer than robbing a bank. Yeah, they can do it from their home, right? <laughs> Wherever they live throughout well, the world. Yeah, um, and, and, and across the world. You know, so, um, yeah, they can do it from from virtually anywhere and certainly do do it from anywhere. So, so the the cyber terrorists then, they're doing a couple of things. They're, they're stealing data or other types of things to make money. And then after they make money to fund their activities, then what do they do as a cyber terrorist? Let's say they have the specialists that get the funding, but after the funding, what do they do as a terrorist online then? Sure. Um, One of the uh, things that they go after, for instance, is our critical infrastructure and key resource uh, organizations. So, for instance, uh, uh, utility companies will have SCADA systems, and what they'll want to do is try to exploit vulnerabilities in that SCADA system for for a variety of reasons, whether uh, shut it down, um, whether to take it over. But the more that they can control and have access to, uh, the more of a spectacular attack um, that that they can pull off. Uh, But it doesn't have to be just SCADA systems. It can be financial institutions. Um, you, you, you think of them placing a computerized uh, bomb, you know, uh, around a city, and mm-hmm. simu- simultaneously transmitting, you know, unique patterns uh, to to different systems. You know, that can shut down an entire infrastructure. You know, so, you know, phones and traffic lights, uh, communications. <clears throat> so, uh, part of it is to disrupt and inculcate fear. And inculcating fear is a core part of, you know, the terrorist mantra. So, uh, you know, whether it's uh, taking over uh, a power plant, um, breaking into a hospital to uh, change medications, you know, that may sicken or kill people, you know, to uh, air traffic control systems, uh, anything that has um, Internet connectivity is vulnerable and what doesn't have internet connectivity anymore. Right. Well, and the very recent um, news that we had from Massachusetts, you know, a lot of people, when they saw on the news about all of the gas lines exploding um, in the homes and so on all at once, the first thing that so many on the different news stations said was, we don't know what happened. Could this have been cyber terrorism from somebody maybe messing with the controls on the, you know, on the gas lines. And this is just pure conjecture to all my listeners out there. We don't know what happened, at least not at the point in time we're recording this show. But I guess I'm using that as an example of another way that um, if those were were online or the controls were able to be reached digitally, that would be another type of activity, right? Yes, I don't know what happened with that attack, but a, a good friend of mine is a former CIA overseas agent, and when that attack happened, he sent me a link to that. So that would tell me that he believes that it was um, 
uh, it, it, at least Paris connected because he, he wouldn't send it otherwise. That, that was a signal, basically, that it was suspicious enough to him that he, he believes that's more likely than not the case. And mm-hmm. he's never been wrong that I know of. So, but, but it's, uh, you know, we don't know what it is, but it's not nothing, you know, to, to use, the, you know, the, uh, just plain vernacular. Uh, but we know that it's not supposed to be that way. So, um, whether it's a, a failure in the system or purposeful exploit, the, uh, the, the end result's the same. You know, the end result's the same. And so that's why systems have to be uh, correct and uh, not only not susceptible to uh, attack from the outside, but for people inside the system to make sure they're operating operating correctly uh, so accidents don't occur. Oh, yeah. Well, what what do the cyber terrorists look for? when they're looking for a victim. I mean, you, you gave some good examples of the industries they're in and maybe some of the types of systems they want to get to, but do they look at for specific individuals or specific roles of a person um, you know, who might be in a certain industry that they can use as a potential victim? What, what makes them a target? Um. They, uh, in, in terms of people, um, terrorists are looking for people who they believe they can exploit in one way or another to help them uh, either get information or leverage them, recruit them to help plan an attack. Um, and really what they're looking for is, number one, cyber vulnerabilities, number two, physical vulnerabilities, and number three, social engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, an example is, you know, maybe a, a restaurant where defense contractor that's in an area for defense contractors that, that do classified uh, information, and maybe there's a certain place that people go for a drink after work. Um, mm-hmm. A terrorist might hang out uh, in that area, in that restaurant, and befriend people uh, and, and get to know them, hoping eventually that they'll be able to uh, pick up information as people get comfortable with them, and and so that type of social social engineering absolutely works. Um, so, uh, really, you almost have to be on guard for anything that is literally out of the ordinary, um, and you know, classified information procedures are in place for that very reason. But just because. Uh, you don't talk about classified information outside work <clears throat> does not mean a terrorist can't find out where you work and know that you have access to that. So anything you have, um, you know, is, is susceptible to um, attack because the, the terrorist may want to see if there's anything there. And then, of course, there's cases of uh, uh, federal agents who just get sloppy uh, mm-hmm. As all humans do, by the way, periodically, and leave a laptop uh, in the back of a car, and somebody right. breaks the window and takes the laptop. <clears throat> so um, it's almost like you you have to be on guard all the time, and you cannot be susceptible to normal human behavior because nobody's perfect. 
Well, yeah, and you know, you talking about your example with the restaurant. So when you were describing that, I like to put myself or try to put myself into the mindset, you know, of the the um, the perpetrators. So as you're yeah, describing yeah. that, I thought, well, if I was a cyber terrorist, I knew that my people who had data that I wanted or, or pathways in the networks that I want to go through were at a, a restaurant, I would probably sit inside there and set up a, a fake access point and hopefully they would connect to Wi-Fi through my fake access point if I made it look um, good. And then that way I could just um, scrape all the data that they're sending over that line as they're sitting in the restaurant and they wouldn't even know what was going on. That's absolutely right. You know, cloning cell phones, you know, getting mm-hmm. close enough to, to, to clone a phone. There, there's just, there, there's just, you know, um, everything, anything that we have electronically can be an attack vector. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know I still have my flip phone. I don't know if you still have yours or not, but I refuse to have a smartphone because of all the vulnerabilities um, yes. that, that that come on those. So I have the old time flip phone, and people make fun of me, except when theirs gets a malware in it and doesn't work anymore. Right, right. Well, actually, I do have a flip phone that I still use occasionally, but I I moved to a BlackBerry Priv, which I also hardened. So that is one smartphone that I finally went to, and it wasn't. Uh, it was only just about a year or so ago that I went to it because I I didn't want to move to a, another type until I knew one was. Um, pretty hardened, and I'm sure some of my listeners hear that and say, well, the BlackBerry Priv still has vulnerabilities. Yeah, of course it does, but, um, you know, that's why we got to add layers of, of security to it. Um, so, I travel a lot. You travel a lot, too, I think, and I would imagine that cyber terrorists are probably looking for ways uh, to target people while they're traveling. We're, we're, we have a break coming up in one minute, but I want to just start the conversation and then we can continue it after the break here. But but do you see travelers as being good targets as well for the terrorists? Well, they're, they're very, very rich targets, uh, not only for terrorists, but also for economic espionage. You know, one of the lessons learned from the Soviet Union is that if you don't have any money, you can't make war anymore. And that's absolutely what caused the downfall and collapse of the Soviet Union. So after the Soviet Union fell, governments understood that state-sponsored economic terrorism and intelligence gathering um, was a really, really good thing to do. And I remember when the French actually installed... Um, covert cameras in the first-class cabin of their uh, aircraft so that they could record everything that happened uh, in that seat. So as people would write things, that they would get papers out as they would work on the computer, it would literally record, record all that, and the French government was doing that. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's continue this conversation. We have a hard stop here coming up right now, Tom. So um, okay. it's, it's time for a quick break from our valued sponsors. I do appreciate so much. We're talking today with Tom Conley, president and CEO of the Conley Group, about terrorism, cyber terrorism. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments. Um, please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, we're talking with Tom Conley, President and CEO of the Conley Group, about cyber terrorism and cyber terrorists. Uh, and we've been talking about, we went to the break, Tom gave an example of being in a plane and traveling and what some of the terrorists were doing with regard to getting access uh, to data. So, Tom, you know, what should we know about when we are traveling out, even, you know, within our own country, but also to other countries? What should we do to maybe not be a target? Should we let our diplomats and our our embassies in in those uh, countries know that we're coming? Or how can we prevent from being a victim while we're traveling worldwide? Well, I'm not sure that you can ever prevent uh, from being a victim because everything that we do is a mitigation probability. Um, so the only way not to have any information uh, get, get out is to never use an electronic device and brick yourself up into a bunker. <laughs> but, oh. So... Uh, so everything else has a certain amount of risk, and you, um, appropriately, with your BlackBerry, you did layering and hardening, so that obviously significantly reduces the probability 
that you're going to be a victim of an intrusion. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so bad guys are going to go for the low-hanging fruit unless they have a specific target for a specific reason they're trying to go after. So um, most uh, uh, all developed countries have embassies, and uh, certainly within the United States, uh, if you go to uh, just uh, HTTPS, www.state.gov, uh, to the Department of State's website and go to country and other areas information, you'll be able to uh, get the information for the embassies and also travel advisories for a specific country if there's a health outbreak to bad weather. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of really good information. And if I was even going through another area, I would let the embassy know, you know, what plane you were on, when you were landing, uh, and... Mm. And when you take off again, because if if you're even on a layover in another country, even though that may not be your destination country, and there's something that happens at that airport, uh, whether it be an explosion, you know, a fire, uh, a terrorist attack, um, the the embassy at least has uh, visibility that that you're there, mm-hmm. and and I would give the same advice to other people around the world who who have, uh, obviously, embassies also, let them know that that you're going to be there and when. So if you don't show up, you know, they, they know you're, you at least were there. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great advice. And I would think, too, something that is kind of a, a concern of mine, and it has been for, for years, ever since I've been flying on planes is how loudly people talk on their phones when they're sitting waiting in the gate area for their flight. I would think uh, that would be something, too, to just think about what you're you're talking about in public, because you never know who's listening to you, um, who's around you in the airport. I know I when I'm sitting there, something I've started doing over the years is I have a little kind of like a diary and I just write down things I hear that are big concerns and I hear too many people talking about where they're going and and who they're talking to and and projects they're working on I would think that would make you a a terrorist target too if you're talking about something of interest right yes and, and really the name for that is operational security or OPSEC and uh, for instance, if if you're a United States citizen and you're traveling, you know don't wear something that says United States of America all over it. You know, blend in and and make yourself dull if you you know if you will. You know, when you get to other airports, get into security and stay in a secured area. So do things that are operationally or opsec smart, um, and um, you know certainly talking about where you're going and what you're doing um, may be good conversation, but mm-hmm. it it probably can't help you and can hurt you a lot um, because uh, the, there's an old saying that paranoid people are usually right. And, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but there's a healthy dose of, uh, of, of awareness that people need to have um, to, uh, you know, it's okay to be a little paranoid because a little paranoid means you're going to be careful. And if you're careful, that's the risk, best risk mitigation uh, measure ever, and it's free. You know, just yeah. be smart, you know, and that's free. 
Well, and I would think, too, while you're traveling, I see also so many people do really silly things. Like in um, airports, when they're in the restaurants, they just leave their laptop and get up and either go to the bar to get another beer or they, they just disappear for 15 minutes while they went to either some a store or someplace else. And I'm looking at their laptop thinking... If I wanted to be really malicious or if I wanted to, to do bad things, right, there's their laptop and I can see their open USB ports, you know, maybe they're blocked digitally, but it looks like I could just stick a, a USB drive right into it and take whatever I could out of there. When they came back, they wouldn't even know. It, and you it hit just, on a key point. Um, mm-hmm. People <clears throat> may work in an industry where they may not think um, they're a target. But the fact is, with especially economic espionage that's state-sponsored, it doesn't really matter uh, what industry you work in. If you're traveling, you're a potential target, because uh, especially governments will mine information, and this gets off a little bit from terrorists, but state-sponsored um, economic espionage, they want to know what you have so that they know that. And China's probably the worst offender in the world. No offense to my Chinese friends. But um, uh, the Chinese typically will steal uh, ideas that are um, invented in the United States, and they'll end up uh, making things as a result of those ideas. And, you know, that's smart on their part, and shame on us on our part. But um, we have to assume... And, and people should assume that people are trying to get what they have at all times. And, and if you have that mindset, then you don't have to make sort of binary choice as well as it's safe here, is it safe here. If you take mm-hmm. reasonable precautions and have good operational security and you understand really it is, no, it is not safe anywhere, um, if you're going to China or Russia, um, I frankly would take nothing electronic with me, you know, literally. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, maybe satellite phone, but uh, when you go to certain countries, you can just absolutely positively assume that they're going to try to mine everything you have physically and virtually. Mm-hmm. So if, if well, you know that, then you can take measures. Yeah, you know, I started a practice several years ago when I did start going to a lot of international locations and also just uh, domestically throughout the U.S. I now have um, or I've been using a laptop that I don't use other than for just travel. So with this laptop, it's literally the bare bones. All I can do with it is uh, be able to connect to the internet and from there, um, you know, I know how to get to my email or or whatever other uh, site that has access that I need to. But it, it seems like that that cuts a lot of the security risks. Of course, it doesn't cut them all, but it's a way of not worrying about the data that you have on your, your laptop, because if you don't have any data on your laptop at all, except for, you know, just the, the applications that you're using to connect online, then then that that makes it so you don't have to worry about that so much. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's an absolutely wonderful uh, risk management strategy, which is your, why you're my privacy hero, 
Uh, and, <laughs> well, thank and, you. And, no, it's 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 true. But you know, just that 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 act, um, you know, cuts in the high ninety percent of vulnerability out because really, if you don't have data, it doesn't matter if they get access to it or not mm-hmm. because it doesn't have any any uh, any economic value to them, and unless you're um, a high-ranking government official, or they want to do damage, um, you know, wh- whether it's uh, you know injecting a, a you know worm, uh, wh- whatever it may be. Um, if you don't have a lot of data on that, then it's an exercise in futility for them. You know, they mm-hmm. go fishing and get a minnow. Yeah. Or maybe you give them a lot of just uh, bad data, too. Maybe you put a file on there that's uh, a bunch of bogus stuff, and they take it and, and get lost with it. But, um, and have uh, their intelligence people spend, spend years trying to decode it. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that, would be, that would be interesting to, to try to do something like that. So I have a, a business friend who is an expert in uh, the energy industry, and a few years Years ago, I was kind of concerned because um, he he traveled and was in or was outside of the airport in Turkey when that um, terrorist attack went on. If you recall that, it's been a couple of years oh, yeah. ago. But he oh, was yeah. just and one of the things when I said, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, what did you do? And and one of the things that he said that he was concerned with was the fact that maybe. Um, they were going to take hostages because they didn't know how many were there right after, you know, the bomb blast went off. And, of course, um, he was carrying all sorts of, I mean, he would be somebody that nation states would find very valuable because of his expertise. So what do you have as far as recommendations for, like, in a hostage situation, you know, what should you think of or do if, if you know, hopefully that never happens. But if it happens, what you, should you do? And can IT or data security or your phone be used to help you in your rescue? Um, you know, the short answer is, you know, I think yes, especially with a cell phone. If you can, you know, send a text message uh, without uh, potential hostage takers seeing that you're typing, um, mm. and and you know the other thing is that that you know this is text messages will queue so they'll be sent when cell phone traffic, voice traffic may not get through. Um, mm. But mm-hmm. that that sort of goes back to make sure your embassy knows where you're at. So the question: Did our embassy in Turkey know he was at he was at the airport? Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, and don't care. But it certainly makes a case for um, you know going that extra step to let people know where you are, because the sooner they know it, and the sooner the U.S. is aware that a citizen is is the next place, the sooner they're going to deploy people to um, uh, to, to find you and, and retrieve you. Um, I I like the idea of a device that um, wipes uh, an electronic device of data if you're going to be compromised, you know, so mm-hmm. that you can, you know, do X and Y and the drive's wiped. Um, because
because that then, um, it doesn't keep somebody from torturing or killing you, but it keeps the secret safe. And if you're tortured to an X level where you would give up information that was on there, you can't give up anything that's not on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially if it's a national security secret, um, you know, that, that could harm many, many people, you, you can't give them something you don't have, and they can't acquire something that doesn't exist. Right. You know, I had an idea as you were describing this. Wouldn't it be, and I don't have a smart uh, watch or, you know, those, uh, that's, or a Fitbit. I don't have fitness trackers. Sure. But wouldn't that be kind of a good thing if they would add a feature to those, kind of like a 911 button or something, where if you were in a situation um, and you needed help, you could just. Uh, press the button or do whatever to let people know that you're, you know, you need help. Kind of like the the old, the long time, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up type of thing. <laughs> sure. you'd, you'd incorporate it into one of these newer devices. Well, and I'm not sure, so sure they don't have them. <clears throat> and, and for our viewers in other countries, or listeners in other countries, you know, 911 is just the, the number we dial here for emergency services mm-hmm. instead of trying to dial a long number. So whatever that code is, if you have it in your country, you know, program that in um, so that you can uh, contact emergency services. Um, but in, in the United States, of course, authorities can triangulate about where you are. And if you're being kidnapped, um you know, throw the device in, in in the weeds so your attacker doesn't doesn't get it because they can at least then track you to a location you were when you called. And um, dogs, there's a number of ways that they can you know track you from there. Um, but but then the bad guy can't destroy the uh, device and uh, you know disable the feature. Uh, because it continues to transmit. <clears throat> so that's not a, a bad strategy. You know, if they're going to, if somebody's going to take you literally hostage and, uh, uh, you, you know, kidnap you, um, not not a bad strategy because they're going to search you and, and everybody's got a phone. Mm-hmm. So it also makes a case that if you're, you know, traveling, whether it's uh, in the United States or out, to have uh, two phones, um, so that if they find one, may have another one hidden, so you can at least send text message. So they think yeah. they found the phone, and then all of a sudden, you know, place it so that um, if you're tied up with your hands behind your back, you can get to it from that that area, whether it's in your sock, um, it, you know, in, inside the back of your pants, you know, uh, wherever it's at, you know, you can access it from most likely place that you'll be restrained. And if you can text, um, um, then then you keep that phone active. And if you're, even if you're in trunk of a car, law enforcement can track and, and find out exactly where it's at. And, of course, there's other things you want to do, you know, like knock a taillight out, um, try to you know, open the trunk from the inside. You know, and those are... Uh, common sense, physical things, but you can certainly use technology uh, to to your advantage uh, in that way. 
I want to go on to another topic, uh, still about cyber terrorism, but it's about some news that came out recently. It was reported that um, there had been, uh, you know, requirements within the USA for coordination of the multiple federal agencies to work together before deciding how to use cyber attacks against cyber terrorists so that everything could be coordinated. But then recent news came out that removed or seem to remove those requirements. I don't know. I don't know if you read that or not. But what are your thoughts about that? If you did, what I think you're talking about is Presidential Policy Directive 20, which was signed into law by President Obama. I think in 2012, and you know certainly prior to 9/11, um, 2001, uh, you had these uh, stovepipes where agencies didn't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, my read on on this is it doesn't preclude agencies from working together, but it precludes the, for instance, CIA to launch a cyber operation without the requirement to tell other people if it's of a classification nature that exposing it would potentially harm the mission. <clears throat> so I think it um, is is against nation states. Um, and, and we do it, and everybody else does it. And I, mm-hmm. I, mean, I remember the Sucknet virus you know, yes. that got uh, planted in Iran's centrifuges. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, uh, all countries do it. Um, you know, we do it. Other countries do it. But I, I, I think that's what it is. You know, I, I, I certainly don't have any inside information, um, and, and I wouldn't support anything that degrades our capability uh, to be able to protect our country, the same as I wouldn't expect anybody else to do anything to degrade their security in their country. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, and that, I just had heard that recently, so I was curious to get your take on it. So thank you for that. That That's very helpful. Um, yeah, and I, and I think, I, uh, just, to add on, just to add on to that, I think that intent was to position the government to do more aggressive Offensive type type of um, operations by the Pentagon in particular. Ah, so okay. I think the Pentagon does not want, like the CIA or NSA, to necessarily know what they're doing when the classification is such um, <clears throat> uh, that they don't have a need to know. I I believe mm-hmm. that's the nexus of it. Okay. Well, that, well, that's helpful to know. I mean, um, I'm sure some of my listeners probably read just the headline as it's easy to do and not really get into the details. So that helps to provide more details uh, behind that headline then. Um, now, what would happen responding to a cyber attack and uh, cyber terrorism? You know, of course, organizations need to have disaster recovery and business continuity plans in place. But what should they have in their plans that's specific to what may be cyber terrorism? Um, you know, who should they contact if they think that there's a cyber terrorist attack going on? Well, certainly, you know, within the United States, the FBI has the Internet Crime Complaint Center or, uh, or, or IC3, and the website is just IC3.gov, as in Ida Charles, number three, 
gov and you can do a <clears throat> an online complaint. Certainly, um, you can call your local FBI office. Um, they are the chief law enforcement agency. In fact, uh, the FBI's mission after 9-11 uh, switched from investigations to anti-terrorism, which includes um, uh, cyber-terrorism. So okay. uh, they have some very, very good people. And uh, <clears throat> whether it's a ransomware attack, you know, whether it's a worm, whether it's malicious software, uh, they want to know about that. A part of the challenge that they have, um, a virtual virus is sort of like a um, human virus. Uh, if there's a new virus, it has to infect so many people before it can be recognized. And then a countermeasure has to be developed to that virus if there can be one, and all that takes time. You know, right. Like if there's a deviation of the Ebola virus, it can kill a lot of people you know, before uh, an antibody can be developed. <clears throat> so there's this point counterpoint with uh, you know, with bad guys um, that they they will launch new malware, <clears throat> new viruses, and the FBI hasn't seen it before. So the sooner that the government can become aware that there's a potential new virus out, the sooner they can start working on it. Right. So it really is important to report it. Um, we in we only have just a couple of minutes left, and I kind of lost track of time here. But maybe if you just have a, a quick parting thought for our our listeners today about the topic that we've been uh, covering. Sure. No, I I, uh, I you know I appreciate being here. <clears throat> my my concern is that it's uh, a few days after seventeen years after nine eleven. And the people may believe that the terrorist activity has uh, and the threat has dwindled. Uh, the opposite is true. Uh, the reason we have not had major attacks has a lot to do with our intelligence agencies and our law enforcement apparatus, and not that the bad guys aren't trying. Um, and there are a lot of different um, people who want to do attacks, all the way from state-sponsored and by, by being state-sponsored, I mean being sponsored by a country, by a government, uh, terrorist groups, all the way down to lone wolf terrorists who may be um, a, a computer person, and then they sympathize with a terrorist group, and they want to do what they can to disrupt. So you have all these uh, different various uh, potential attack vectors that you have to get, uh, guard against simultaneously. So the the worst thing people can do has let their guard down and, and think that things are okay because we haven't had a major attack. fact is nothing could be further from the truth. And so people need to just build security into their daily routine and don't get sloppy and just make sure you do the things that you need to do uh, to keep yourself reasonably safe and don't take risks. Well, thank you. I mean, that's a great parting thought. So thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show today. You've really provided some great insights on cyber terrorism and protections. So, thank you. It's my honor and privilege. Thanks, Tom. So today we've been speaking with Tom Conley, president and CEO of the Conley Group, about cyber terrorism tactics and defenses here, you know, within your own domestic area and also while traveling. You can see more about Tom at theconleygroup.tom and on Twitter 
at Conley Group One and at my Voice America Business Show site. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune in to my show each week. And if you can't make our scheduled live time, of course, you can always listen to the recordings and you find recordings of all my past shows at my business, uh, voiceamerica.com business channel website. Please t- contact me with questions and comments at Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. And stay aware, stay vigilant in the week ahead and beyond. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.